What a wonderful reminder that we can rest in Christ. That those who are adopted into your family, we can set our trust on you alone. You are our delight and our reward. Father, today there are those who cannot rest and trust in Christ. And I do pray that today would be the day of salvation. Father, may your spirit guide my words and may your spirit move in the hearts of your people that they could have ears to ear, hear and eyes to see. For your glory and for the sake of Christ Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests. I was in a, a meeting this week, and it reminded me in the meeting of four words that I've heard Pastor Nick counsel people with. Um, people who are going through difficult times, these are words I've heard him say. And, uh, and whether, whether Christians are going through difficult seasons due to the providential happenings of God, the things that just happen in our lives, um, that God brings into our lives, uh, death of someone close to you, uh, health issues in your life, financial issues that are outside of yourself, that are economically driven, that really have nothing to do with decisions you've made. These are, these are difficult things to go through. There's, we go through difficulties in our life because of our own sinfulness. We go through struggles and trials in our own lives. Uh, from temptations to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The, 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 the laziness that we can experience. The, the sexual morality that can cause us to struggle. The, the overspending on temporal pleasures. All kinds of things that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life bring into our lives and all kinds of things that are difficult to deal with that come from outside that God just providentially brings into our lives. And the four words of encouragement that, that I want to remind us of today is do the next thing. Do the next thing. Some of you have heard this because whether you've heard from Pastor Nick or Elizabeth Elliot or jo uh, Joni Erickson Tata, uh, do the next thing. There's a poem that, that this, those four words come from in this context. And so whether you're a, you're a husband and a father, whether you're a wife and a mother, whether you're a widow, you're an you're a, 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 a unmarried adult, uh, you're a, a child, we're all called to different things. And the encouragement I want to remind us is to do the next thing when you're struggling. When you're struggling with overwhelm and discouragement and, and a sense of hopelessness. Wherever God has providentially, providentially placed us, we all have callings. We all have things we're called to, definitionally, in the roles we are. And so we do the next thing unto the Lord. The poem is this, from an old English parsonage down by the sea, there came in the twilight a message for me. It's quaint Saxon legend, deeply engraven. It has, seems to me, God's teaching from heaven. And on through the hours, the quiet words ring. Like a low inspiration, do the next thing. Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt has its quieting here. Moment by moment, let down from heaven, time, opportunity, guidance are given. Fear not tomorrows, child of the king, trust them with Jesus. Do the next thing. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing Christ's hand, who placed it before you with earnest command. Stayed on his omnipotence, safe neath his wing. Leave all resultings. Do the next thing. 
Looking to Jesus, ever serener. Working or suffering, let this be your demeanor. In his dear presence, the rest of his calm, let the light of Christ's countenance be your psalm. Strong in his faithfulness, praise and sing. Then as he commands you, do the next thing. I'm not going to exegete this whole poem because it would be a sermon. I might sometime. I'm not going to this morning. But (laughs) Proverbs 21.3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Micah 6, 6 through 8, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn of my transgression for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Colossians 3, 23, 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So as you go to do the next thing, go to do the next thing that God has called you to. Look, I was telling the person I was meeting with, in the mornings when I get ready, uh, there's a time I have, quite a lot of time, to pray and read the Bible and think of the pastoral things that are going on in my life, the familial things. About 45 minutes, that's that's what I do. And I was telling this, except on Tuesdays, because I come here and don't get up that early. But... I was telling the person I was meeting with, there's times I don't do that. And I don't dwell on that, and I don't navel-gaze about that, and I don't... I just remember, do the next thing I'm supposed to do. So, I mean, I just... I pastor this church, yes? Um, The next thing I have sometimes is to call Kathy. That's just the next thing I have to do. So just do that next thing. Uh, Unto the Lord, what you're called in moms, it can be overwhelming to be a mother. Uh, Wondering, how are are my kids going to turn out? Just do the next thing. It's time for breakfast. You cook breakfast and you clean up and you train your children through that process. It's, It's time for math. You do math. You just do the next thing. Josh, you got 48 houses you're working on all at one time. All you can do is go to the next job and do it heartily under the Lord. Just do the next thing. And we fail. Just do the next thing. Repent. Seek God's grace and mercy. Keep Christ in view and just do the next thing. I, I really think that that's so simple. But it's so profound. Look, as we all know, Sister Stephanie has got a a mountain to climb in a way. It's a whole new world that she's living in. And really, really what she just needs to do is the next thing. Trusting the Lord with what's going to happen with her children. And just be faithful. So, the, the pre-sermon actually is a pretty good segue, unintentionally, but as I was thinking into today's passage, because for some of you in here, the next thing you need to do is settle your case with the judge before you come before him. We know Jesus is in front of tens of thousands of people here in, in Judea in, in what we're looking at in the book of Luke right now. Uh, he's, been, he's been talking to this crowd, and then he's been talking to his disciples in different times, um, he, he here is going to turn to the masses and he's going to talk to the masses. And uh, the sermon today is titled Interpret the Times and Settle Your Case Before You Go to See the Judge. So please stand and I will read verses 54 through 59.
He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. You may be seated. Uh, another meeting I was in this week, uh, I was talking to a young woman and this is a young woman who has yet to confess Christ and be baptized in water as an outward sign of a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she was expressing concern with what she believes to be the end times. She just seems like everything going on in her young adult mind, she, she thinks that maybe it's the end times and, and that Christ's return is, is imminent. And, and that she's afraid... She's afraid of, of God, God's wrath and judgment. She's afraid to stand before, before God. And uh, she, was, she was interpreting the signs she thinks she sees, and she was afraid. And I, I explained to her, hey, a fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, I pointed her to Christ for, for reconciliation with the, with the God of who she's afraid of, afraid to stand before and, and that we can't know when, when Christ will return, but we don't base Christ's return on the world events that we see. But as we're looking here at Luke, that, that she's considering, am I ready for that? If he does come back, and it seems like the world's going crazy, am I ready for that? So she was, she was trying to interpret the signs, but in a, in a, a different sense than than. The, the temporal signs that Jesus is talking about here. To, today, today is perfect timing for a sermon for this, this young woman that I was meeting with. And it's the perfect time for anyone else in here who, who knows you have a need for the forgiveness of your sins and to be, in order to be reconciled with your Creator. So, um, today's passage contrasts interpreting natural or temporal signs versus spiritual and eternal signs. We, we regularly interpret temporal signs with deep, decent results. As we're going to see here, weather forecasts. We, we know some things about the weather. We can look and we can, we can reasonably expect things to happen. We can we can interpret those. We can, we can, uh, we can interpret uh, what printing more money will do to prices of things. Prices will rise if you print more money. Just interpreting those those temporal signs. We know that for some people, too much gluten going to have a tummy ache. Uh, too many devices on one internet will bog it down. So. Jesus is saying to these Jewish audience who, who did the same thing, interpreted these temporal signs, he says to the crowds, remember now he's turned, he's not talking to the 12 anymore, or the, the, the larger probably than 12, but the, the few disciples he's talking to, the aklas, the tens of thousands. He's talking to a huge group of, of Jews that were following him. And he said, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. As we mostly know in Israel, Israel is, is um, located just east of the Mediterranean Sea and, and north from the deserts of Egypt. And, and so um, this, this, the, when, they would, when they would look out, for instance, in the direction of the Mediterranean Sea and they see clouds, rain's coming. And if they feel a southerly wind, they know it's going to be hot. That's, that's what's happening. And, Elijah was prophesying concerning rain coming uh, to end the three and a half year drought. And he, he had his servants go out to, to look out and see out over the Mediterranean Sea and see if they 
saw rain coming. And they came back six times and said, no, they don't see anything. And the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. He said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariots and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. So Mediterranean Sea, they see clouds. They know rain's coming. Again, the south wind that came from the deserts, uh, from, from Arabia and Egypt, uh, still does bring great, great heat. Uh, reference in Jonah. So, so the Jews knew a, a southern wind meant hot, and they knew clouds in the west meant rain. Uh, just like we know clouds in Walcott, probably going to rain in Davenport. And we know southerly winds bring heat, and northerly winds bring cold. We can, we, we can interpret the signs of, of, of this earth. So Jesus says that they, they rightly understood uh, the signs of the weather. He said, while you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat and it happens. So you you know the signs of weather. And then he says, you hypocrites. He's talking to the crowds now. He's talking to to all of these these Jews that were following him, but weren't his disciples. They were following him. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to be ministered to by him. They were interested in him being their king, many of them, their, their earthly king. He says, you Hypocrites, you actors on stage, you, you liars, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This word interpret, dakimazo, to test, examine, prove, scrutinize, to test, to examine, to try to determine something. So you can examine and scrutinize, he's telling them. You can do real science and come to the correct conclusions about earth and sky about the temporal realities. But you cannot examine and scrutinize and understand the present time. Well, what is he saying to them present time? Isn't the rain and the, and the wind, isn't that present time? That's, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's making a comparison. This word for present time is kairos. It means opportunity, good occasion, a fixed and definite time. The time when things are brought to crisis. The decisive epoch waited for. Opportune or seasonable time. Right time. A limited period of time. To what time brings the state of the time. The things and events of the time. What he's saying to them is, you can rightly interpret things of the temporal nature, but you cannot interpret the opportunity that you now have. The occasion that's right here before you. you. You scrutinize and rightly understand the earthly realities, but you cannot understand rightly the eternal reality that's standing right in front of you. The opportunity you have, the, the, the decisive epoch that you've waited for, the, the fact that I am, Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, I am God, I'm standing right here before you, teaching these eternal truths, and you don't get it. You're hypocrites. You, you, can, you can tell me when rain's coming, you can tell me when a uh, hot wind's coming, and you can't interpret this present time, the magnitude of who is standing in front of you and what I am here to deliver to you. Remember Jesus in Luke 4, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's already told them, I am the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 
I am what, what you are waiting for. Luke 7, 22, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He's speaking to these tens of thousands of people, claiming, claiming these people that were claiming they wanted to teach him and teach them and, and, and lead them and minister to them. And yet they weren't listening, they weren't interpreting this eternal reality that was standing right in front of them. And they were very proud of themselves for being able to tell you when the rain's coming and the hot wind's coming. I've told you, Jesus says, I, I, who I am. I've healed the lame. I've, I've raised the dead. I, I fed 20,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish. I've calmed the seas. I've calmed the winds. I've, I've stopped a woman's blood problem that she had for 12 years. I've turned water into wine. And you can't interpret the present time. You can't see the opportunity that's literally standing right in front of you. But you're happy when you can predict rain and hot winds and economic changes. And then he says, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Why, Aklash? Why, crowd? Why are you following these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees giving you false religion, false hope, telling you that Judaism and following the law is your way to be right with God? Why don't you judge what's right? I'm telling you something different. Why don't you judge what's right? You, you listen to these, these hypocrites that he talked about earlier in Luke when he was talking directly to the scribes. You listen to the, the leaven of the Pharisees, these hypocrites. They tell you lies and you believe them. They tell you because you're circumcised, because you're Jewish, you're fine with God. They tell you if you follow the law, you're fine with God. I'm telling you something completely different and you can't interpret the present time the opportunity that's in front of you. And then he tells a parable. Right on top of that, he tells this parable. Now remember, he's been telling them of his return. He's been telling him in parables about when, when a master returns and what he finds his slaves doing and how he's going to give rewards to one and punishment to three. He's, he's been talking about the, the separation in families that's going to come because he is going to separate families because some will believe and, and some won't. He's, he's been talking about God's judgment coming. And he's telling them, you're all caught up and you can tell us when rain and heat's coming. You can't interpret this reality that I'm telling you now. Let me give you a little parable. Let me try one more time to give you a parable that can help you to understand. Settle with your accuser before it's too late. He says, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, the word for accuser there, antidikas, it means adversary, enemy, one who is actively and continuously hostile towards someone. So when you go with your enemy, your adversary, one who is actively and continuously hostile toward you. Now, who do we think that enemy might be? That word there, uh, antidikas, is the word we see in 1 Peter 5. Be so reminded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But is this the accuser who will bring you before the judge? No, the accuser, the, the adversary, the enemy being depicted here is God himself. He is the one accusing you. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, 
Make an effort to settle with him, him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. You aren't going to settle with the devil. You're going to settle with God. And God, he says, when you're, when you're going with your accuser before the magistrate, this accuser, God himself, he's going to bring you before himself in judgment. He is your adversary. This is what these Jews could not understand. They could not understand that God was against them because they were God's people. They were part of the covenant. They had been circumcised. So, so they thought, no, no, this is what our, our scribes and Pharisees are teaching us, that we're fine, we're Jews. All we got to do is do better. Make more sacrifice, obey the law better, we're Jewish. They did not understand that their accuser, their enemy, was actually God himself. Psalm 5.5, 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Jews boasted in their Judaism. They boasted in their religion. They boasted in their sacrifices, and yet they did evil. God was against them. Psalm 7.11, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day day. God is angry with the wicked every day. God is who sinful mankind is an enemy of. He is actively, continuously hostile towards sinners. And these Jews didn't believe it. They thought they were okay for all different reasons than he was telling them. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What they didn't understand was the wrath of God was on them. And the only way to remove that wrath was to believe, to, to, to discern or interpret the present time to believe into Christ. The man standing right there telling them he was the Messiah. The Jews could not interpret this, this moment in history. This opportunity. The present time when the, the Messiah was there in front of them. He had come to save his people and they couldn't see it. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, archon, one who rules or governs. <laughs> Revelation 1.5, who is this archon? And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. As you go with your accuser before the archon, as you go with God before God, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge, Christes, Christes a judge, one who presides over a court session, pronounces judgment. Who is the judge? Who is the judge? Who is the Christes? Look at Hebrews 12, speaking to the Jews who had, who had gathered together in the New Testament visible church. For you have not come to do to what may be touched. You haven't come to Mount Sinai. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tem a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was, a, terrifying was the sight, Moses said, I tremble with fear. They were afraid at Mount Sinai when the law was given. They were afraid of God. They said, please, no more. We can't handle this any longer. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven and to God, the judge of all. 
and the spirits of righteousness made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The judge, the magistrate, is God himself. The God whom their forefathers had feared at Mount Sinai was the God that Jesus is telling them in this parable. As you go to with your accuser, God, before the magistrate, God, make an effort to settle with him, God, on the way, lest he drag you to God, and God hands you over to the angels, and the angels put you in prison. Balo. That word put is not strong enough, I would assert. The word is to throw or to hurl. They're not gonna, there's not going to be any gentleness to this. You're going to stand before the judge, and the judge is going to hand you the officers, and you're going to be guilty, and they're going to hurl you. They're going to throw you. This word balo is the word in Luke 3, 9. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown, balo, into the fire. Revelation 14. So he who sat on the clouds swung, balo, his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar. The angel who has authority over the fire and called with a loud voice to the one who has a sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine on the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung the sickle across the earth, again Balo, and gathered the grape harvest of the earth, and Balo threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So at the judgment, the grape harvest will be thrown into the winepress of the wrath of God. Back to the parable. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. Jesus is telling them that they are headed towards God's judgment to pay the penalty of their sins in prison. Anyone in here who today, who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus, this parable is for you. This is what you want to hear. You cannot, you are not, you are not right before God. And we're going to get there, but there's something you need to do. Because if you don't do it, you're going to stand before the magistrate, before the judge, and he's going to throw you, he's going to have his angels throw you into eternal punishment. Penalty for your sins. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. In that discussion, I was telling you about those two young learned men. We were talking about this reality, and, and the one was raised Catholic, and he, and he believed in purgatory, and we talked about this, and he came to understand, no, that's, that's not actually going to happen. What I'm going to do is die and face judgment. He actually, I think he actually understood that logically for the first time in his whole life. He actually understood, oh, wait, I die? I'm going to stand before God in judgment. I don't have this billion-year period where people can pray me through. This is true for all mankind. Revelation 20, 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown, Balo, into the lake of fire. That is the second death, lake of, uh, that is the second death the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This eternal punishment, this penalty, paying for the sins to the last penny, it is, penalty, penny, it is hell. That's what Jesus is telling them in this parable. Jesus speaking to those on the left, the goats at judgment, and these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. The prison that you're going to pay the penalty in is hell, eternal hell. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Hey, just, just so we know, God is present in hell. 
Because he is omnipresent. And what's present in hell? The, the characteristic or the attribute of God that's being poured out is his wrath and his judgment. And the presence of the Lord from the glory of his might, that won't be present in hell. God will be present. He is all those things, but that's not what's going to be manifesting. When he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and be marveled at among all who believe because of testimony to you is believed. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Okay, just like we've looked at, the, the, he's telling his disciples, hey, he's going to come like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when he's coming. The judge is standing at the door. What I want everyone to understand in here is that the judge, death, is standing at the door. In the blink of an eye and a snap of a finger, you'll be standing before God for judgment. Are you ready? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. Look, your accuser is going to take you before the judge. Your case is going to be settled because you're guilty. You're guilty. And the officer is going to put you in prison. He says this, I tell you, emphasis, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. You will never get out once you are found guilty by the judge because the debt you owe is too large for you to pay. So you're never getting out. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is eternal death. A debt too large to pay. The eternal payment for sins and against an eternal God, you will never get out because you can't pay the last penny. Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the rights into eternal life. He is telling this big crowd of people who could not discern or interpret the present time, the opportunity that was standing in front of them, the salvation of their souls. He's telling this parable, listen, you better hear me because you're going to be going with your accuser before the magistrate who's going to be dragging you to the judge. You're going to be found guilty and you're going to be thrown into prison into hell for all eternity because you can't pay it back. So what's the solution that Jesus gives in this parable? What's the solution? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle. To settle with him on the way. As you're walking towards death, which we all are. As you're walking towards death. Everyone here is walking towards death. You're closer to death every day. As you're doing that, settle. Settle with the accuser. Settle with the judge. The word is apalasomai. Settle with. Be reconciled, come to a settlement. With whom are you to be settled? God, the judge, the magistrate, the accuser. As you go, on the way, at the end of that, verse 58, as you are headed towards judgment, as you are walking towards death, Settle with the accuser. 
before it's too late. This is the instruction. This is the command. In this parable, while on your way, this is an aorist imperative. It's basically, do not delay. Do this now. This is urgent. This must be done. You must settle with your accuser before you stand before the judge. And every day, every breath you take, you're closer to that meeting. This is what you must do. You must settle. Settle. That is passive. It's going to be something that's going to be done to you by an outside force. And it's going to be a perfect passive. It's going to be something that's done one time for all. But you must make an effort to settle once and for all time as you are going before you get to the judge. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? You see, his audience was listening to a bunch of false teachers. Why don't you judge for yourselves what's right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. You aren't getting out. So if that's what you're commanded to do, if that's what Jesus is telling them to do, if he's telling them to settle with their accuser, settle with the accuser before he gets to the judge, how do you do that? How do you settle? Okay, I'm going to try to settle with my accuser on the way to the judge by just being better. Do better. I'll try harder. I'll be more religious. I'll obey my parents better. I'll try my best not to tell a lie. Will that settle the account? Of course it won't. I'll get baptized. Will that settle the account? I know. I'll find my way to a Lord's Supper somewhere and I'll take the Lord's Supper and that that will settle the account. That's not how we settle the account. What is the opportunity that's standing right in front of you? That you must interpret this present time, this opportunity. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. So this is written to the believers in this room, if you will. These things are written to us that we that we don't sin. But when we do, we have an advocate, Christ Jesus. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The, the sins for anyone who would believe in Him. Understand that we sin. But for those who settle with their accuser, Jesus is the propitiation for their sins. That's how you settle. He is the settlement. Colossians 1.14 In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Jesus settles our account. He pays our sin debt. He pays it to the last penny and He redeems us at the cross. With his resurrection, with his perfect life, he redeems us. Jesus, uh, uh, Hebrews 9.12, he, Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, the one standing there giving this message to these Jews, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. He secures 
eternal deliverance from the penalty of our sin. This is our plea. We've heard of a plea agreement, yes? We're admitting our guilt. That's what a plea is. I, I, I admit my guilt, now lessen my penalty if I'm in the court of law. Okay, I'm admitting my guilt, take away my penalty. I'm at the mercy of the court. And here's my plea, Christ. That's my plea. Is that your plea? The only way to settle with your accuser before you stand before the judge is by trusting in God's own sacrifice in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to settle. Only plea. I'm sinning less. I'm sinning less than I used to. There's my plea. In my plea, I have guilt admitted. Guilty to hell with you. I'm behaving better. Guilty. I'm trusting in Christ. Settled. Hebrews 2, 14. Since then, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death who are subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Adam, of Abraham. I'm sorry. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful, faithful priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hilaskomai. Propitiation. To render oneself, to appease, to make reconciliation. He became a man. This man that died on a cross to take on the wrath of God to pay for the sins of those who would put their faith in Him. That's your only settlement. You're walking towards death before you stand before the judge Make settlement with your accuser. God himself. Through God himself. In order to settle the case, you need Jesus. Listen. Hear me. In order to settle the case, you need Jesus. You cannot settle this case any other way. Guilty. Romans 3. Listen, okay, you hear criminals all the time. They get arrested, and they claim their innocence, okay? They claim their innocence, and sometimes they might be, but most of the time they're not innocent, okay? They, they refuse to admit their guilt. In order to settle this case against us, in order to settle this case before we go before the judge, it absolutely presupposes that we know we're sinners and that we're guilty, and that we're under the wrath of God rightly because of our sins. Romans 3.9 What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks. Who does that not include? No one. That's everyone. Jews and Greeks are under sin. As is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Listen, in order to settle with the accuser before you stand before the judge, you have to admit you're a sinner. You're guilty. <laughs> Nothing else settles the case. Hey, but I, I was baptized. I took the Lord's Supper for 21 years. I was a pastor of a church. Does that settle the case? Of course it doesn't. I'm a sinner. Nothing I've done fixes my problem. Nothing I can do fixes my problem. Nothing you can do can fix your problem. You're guilty. You're going to go before the judge. You're going to be thrown into hell for all eternity. No one is righteous. There's not one righteous. There's not one person that's not rightly under the wrath of God because of their sinfulness. Every single solitary human being 
is born in Adam, and nothing changes that except faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Their own faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's all that changes that. Romans 3, 23 and 24. In order to settle this case, in order to to do what Jesus is telling us to do, as we're going, we try to settle this case. The only way to do that is to admit we're guilty. We can't be like the criminal who says, well, I'm innocent. And, And why are you arresting me? She's way worse than I am. Why am I arrested? Why are you picking up a speeder? Why don't you go get a murderer? Why are you coming after somebody who just disobeys their parents? Why don't you go after somebody that kills? You're guilty. I'm guilty. Settle. How? Christ. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Not just some meta-narrative. I don't think there's a person in here. If I ask them, are human beings sinners? Yes. I don't think there's a person in here that can understand my words, could talk back to me. They would not acknowledge the fact that human beings are sinners. And if I ask them, are you a sinner? Well, yeah, because everyone is. Can you tell me your particular sins? No. I just know I'm a sinner. What do those sins earn you? Well, they earn me death or hell. Well, why would they earn you hell? Well, all people are in hell. There's nothing particular about that in that conversation that I'm having or attempting to have. Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Listen, God saves anyone who settles the case through Christ. His arm's not too short. His ear's not too dull. But, however, know this. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you, so He does not hear. You are not reconciled to God in any way other than belief in Jesus Christ. These hypocrites that Jesus was addressing, they believed they were were separated. They, They were not separated from God because they were Jewish, because they were in the covenant. They believed they were not separated from God. They must understand. You must understand and believe that your sins have you separated from God and that your right receipt your right wage, what you've actually earned is eternal damnation. Or else what are you going to settle for? What are you settling with God for? In order to settle with the accuser, before to settle our case, our case of guilt, in order to settle that case with the accuser before we meet the judge is to acknowledge our guilt. Believe our guilt. Believe that we owe a debt. Again, not just a general understanding, but but an understanding of a particular sins particularly. Your sins. Josh, I am a sinner. You are a sinner. You have your sins. I have my sins. Some of them are the same. Many of them are different. But we're both sinners who need Jesus. And we've settled that case with God, with our accuser, through Christ. My children are sinners. My biological children, my adopted children, all of my children, they're sinners. And unless I understand they're sinners... And they need to settle their case. Their case. No familial case. Their case. Nothing will save them. And we must put nothing in their minds that think they are saved in any other way. Acts 17.30 The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. What is repent? A change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Yes, 
Well, the change of mind is, I am hopeless. I am helpless. I am a sinner. I deserve God's wrath. And I have no hope other than this, this forgiveness of sins I keep hearing about in Christ. Not just head knowledge of I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Second Corinthians. Listen, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And Jesus is telling you, settle your case. Your, your case, you're guilty. Settle that case with the accuser before you stand before the judge. When you breathe your last, you will stand before the judge. Settle it now. How do I settle it? I acknowledge and understand I'm a sinner. I see that sin is heinous before a holy God, and I see the Christ who died to pay for my sins. And it's my desire to follow, love, and serve him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So, this, the us here is Christians. These are those who have settled their case. They're no longer guilty. They're now seen as righteous because of Christ's righteousness. And we've been given this ministry of reconciliation because we've been reconciled. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. What's the appeal he's making? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I am begging everyone in here to be reconciled to your creator in and through Jesus Christ. Recognize your sinfulness and your need for salvation from the, from the right wrath you've earned. For our sake, he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. So that we in him might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him. We appeal to you not, not to receive the grace of God in vain. I'm appealing to every one of you in here who has yet to put your faith and trust in Christ. I'm appealing you. Interpret the present time. The opportunity. The command. Don't receive the grace of God, the common grace of everyone in here who hears regularly the gospel, who hears regularly the truths of God's, God's laws and our violation of, who, who regularly understands and are told and are reminded that their sinfulness needs a Savior. Don't, don't, don't receive that in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. At a favorable time he listened to you, Cal. He listened to me. And in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time where you see your sinfulness and you look to Christ for forgiveness of those sins. You, you, you admit you're guilty and you settle that case with the blood of Jesus Christ. Today is the day to do that. The young woman I was talking to, today is the day to do that. Now, now is the time of salvation. Now is the opportunity. Now is this epic moment. Now is the time you're hearing the truth. Today is now the time. It's the time now. Or you're going to go before the judge and you're going to be thrown into hell. You're walking toward death. I don't care if you're 2 or 84. You're walking toward death. Settle. Now, before you stand before the judge,
now, right, 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 right now, right, right now. The love of God now. Now. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. But Jesus Christ is not standing before you like he was in front of these Jews. But, but, but he is speaking through his word that today is the day of salvation. You must settle before you stand before the judge. And the only way you're going to settle is in and through him. I can't impact this world enough to settle my case. I can't preach the gospel enough to settle my case. I can't do, I can't do anything. You can't do anything to settle your case. Recognize your sin, turn from it, and look to Christ. Quit denying you're a sinner. Quit acting as if you're not guilty. Quit believing any other way except Christ is going to make you right with your Creator. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but you, why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And, and by the way, the girl who said, I th the young lady who said, I think this is the last day. It is the last days. These are the last days. These are end times. The last days go from the time Christ ascended and the time he returned. We're in the last days. We're in the church age. We're in the last days. Now is the last days. He's coming. From the time he said these words, he could come at any moment. He's warning right here in Luke 12 all the listeners. You're not promised tomorrow. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Can you not judge for yourselves what I'm telling you is true? That you're sinners? Guilty? rightfully going to stand before the judge and be cast into hell? Judge for yourselves. Do you actually think you're good? You know. You know your heart. You know, you know what you think and what you do. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Get this done now lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to... Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just imagine with me what it's going to be like when you're being drugged, when you die and you're being drugged to stand before God of the universe who's going to judge you for your sins. How horrible a day. And it will be too late. Settle it now. He dragged you to the judge. The judge handed you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny of which you will not have. You came into this world with nothing. You'll go out of this world with nothing. You've got nothing to pay back. Closing thought. The Jews who were listening to God incarnate Jesus of Nazareth did not see their need for reconciliation to God through him. They spent a lot of time discerning the natural, temporal world, ignoring the eternal consequences of God's judgment against them, which was coming soon. For those hearing Jesus' words today, the command is the same. Interpret the times and settle your case before you go to see the judge. Death is certain. Judgment awaits. And Jesus is our only hope to settle the debt we owe due to our sin. Today is a day of salvation for those who believe these truths. Today is a day of salvation for those that believe these truths. The next thing to do, unbeliever, is turn to Christ. Turn away from your sins 
and look to Christ's forgiveness of your sins. That's the next thing to do. Brothers and sisters, the next thing for me to do is praise God that Christ settled our case. And that it is finished. And we won't be drugged in front of the accuser and thrown into hell. We'll be welcomed into glory to see him as he is. Father, again, your word is so clear, so real. Oh, Father, we glorify your name and we praise your name. And Father, I thank you and I praise you for all the salvations that you have wrought. So there's my hope that even now, even here, you are settling your case against your people with the blood of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing, O come, all you unfaithful. O come, all you unfaithful.